Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1361, air date November 20th, to share and either wisdom story or logic and it's clearly amazing to hear all the different missing links discovered by people unique to their own journeys and then how they have come to discover them together we can help to build a bigger picture for a better future for a brighter tomorrow let's stand united let's remove the veils and let's create a new world together are you that missing link Join Jesse Hale on the Missing Link Talk Show as he helps to unveil the mystery through the unique wisdom and store of others. Three, two, one. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, everybody, here back to the Missing Link. Today, we're excited and honored to have back for the third time someone who was uh, MIT PhD, inventor of email, scientist, entrepreneur, Fulbright scholar who holds four degrees from MIT, including a PhD in biological engineering, started seven successful high-tech companies, providing thousands of jobs in uh, Massachusetts. His life has been about solving very tough problems by identifying the root cause, bringing together people to innovate real solutions. Welcome back to The Missing Link, Dr. Shiva. How are you doing today, brother? Good. How are you, Jesse? Uh, doing very well. Um, why don't we get right into it? We got an hour here. So, uh, communism, what do you think that is and how does that play in a part in what's happening in today's, uh, today's life? Yeah, I think that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is to really educate people. Many people know that what we are focused on is to educating people. What's happened over the last probably 50 years is people, um, use terminology, um, and, uh, or they don't use proper terminology. <laughs> And there's a lot of confusion what things are. So we really want to talk about, hey, John, what's the title? We did it on our end. Yeah. So there's a very, very close link, um, very close link between Nazism and Zionism. And then the attack that's been taking over probably since, Jesus, in the United States since 1950s against, quote, unquote, communism, you know, uh, led by a guy called Joseph McCarthy. So we want to put this in a larger context. Because right now we live in an extraordinary time. The left is getting divided and the right is getting divided. Um, and then, you know, our campaign, Shiva for President, is the only campaign as president I've come out as holy against Zionism. So you have Zionism, communism, Nazism, Brahminism. There's a lot of isms out there. Um, so it's very important for people to understand this. So, but let me give you sort of the central thesis here. Um, most of fascist ideology, which I put Brahminism, you know, the offshoot of Hinduism, Zionism, uh, which is not Judaism, Nazism, all of these are centralized on a very specific concept 
that a small set of people, a chosen few or an Aryan race or an upper caste has the right to dominate using typically religious references or spiritual symbols, quote unquote spiritual symbols, right? Uh, to some higher forces or power, the right to um, obliterate other people, right? And subjugate them, enslave them. And as a part of this, these forces have the strategy of always dividing people up, okay? And even among what you call working people, they divide them up. And so they have one wing of the working class fighting against another wing of the working class. And this is, by the way, happening right now in one of the unions I'll talk about, one of the largest entertainment unions in the United States. But um, so, so that's the context. Now, the other thing is that many of these isms that we see today, um, many of these isms that we see today were created or defined by people um, who are not really engineers, who never actually built anything with their bare hands but they were created by individuals you know for you know um who were either philosophers or lawyers um and that's or uh you know quote unquote social scientists or economists and these are very very soft fields um you can put forward all sorts of stuff um and they don't have to be congruent with what's physically taking place in the real world the day-to-day -day lives of people Right, so it's very important to understand. So if we go look at, for example, the works of John Locke, right? He put, put forward this idea of the social contract, which is the basis of classical liberalism. And it basically said, you know, the state, capital S, the state, exists to make everything great between all people, right? There's a social contract and the state is gonna come in government and it's gonna just make everything fine, right? Um, and that was this concept of a social contract. Um, uh, you had the works of Adam Smith who defined really modern capitalism, but many people haven't read his works, but if you go to actually read it and you go to the, you know, depth of his works, he also talks about the dehumanization that capitalism would do over time. Okay. So again, many people use these isms, let's say capitalism, but they, forget that many of these phenomenon also have a time scale. So the capitalism of the 1600s and 1700s is obviously very different than the capitalism of the 1900s or the 2000s or the, you know, you know, the modern century, right? Um, or feudalism um, varies, right? So all of these phenomenon that people observed in social sciences change over time. Um, so what you're defining is actually something quite dynamic. So, for example, if you look at early capitalism, when it really was very, very uh, powerful, right? It was very um, progressive in the sense it inspired people to act, to build roads and bridges and trade. You know, in the early, let's say, 1700s, right? 16, 1700s. Um, it was a force of capitalism that made many, many things, right? Up until the 1800s. but um, as this force was moving forward, the thesis of capitalism, the original thesis was that there would be a market economy and the best would rise to the top, a concept of meritocracy. Um, and what ended up happening over time, one of the things that is foundational to capitalism um, is 
the concept of maximization of profit, right? So if you take a company like Apple, right? Um, what when Apple starts or IBM or Tesla or any company, um, when they become a public company, the value of that company, the valuation of that company, how it's valued in the stock market is a dis direct function of its profitability. So what is profit? Profit is you take all the revenue that the company makes, which comes from sale selling, let's say cars or iPhones or whatever, minus all the expenses it took to make those iPhones or cars, et cetera. And then you get something called um, earnings, typically before taxes and de depreciation. That's called earnings before taxes and, depreci and depreciation, or EBITDA, okay? Um, and those earnings are multiplied by a multiple. And that determines the value of that stock on the stock market. So I'm just giving you a quick overview of this. So if you take a company that started out in 2000, let's say, I don't, I don't know when Apple started, um, every year, if they're a public company, they have to show growth, right? They have to show quarter over quarter growth in their profit. So how do you increase profit? You either generate more revenue and you keep your expenses the same, or you keep the revenue the same and you reduce your expenses, right? Those are the only two ways you can increase your profit. Now, the other thing you can do is you may go buy a company, merge with a company, which has a big revenue base and lower profit and the combined company ultimately increases profit, right? But there's only very few ways to do this. But one of the key ways is you have to grow your market. So if Apple started out in the United States selling iPhones to potentially 300 million people, okay, and they've sold all the iPhones they can, what are they gonna do? Oh, they're gonna say, okay, let's go to Africa, new market, right? Okay, and then they sell all the iPhones there. And they say, okay, let's go to India and China and Europe, right? So, um, and eventually if they've sold iPhones to every person on the planet, right? And, and no one wants to upgrade, they have a problem, okay? Um, because, and, and that point, either they have to produce new products, right, innovate, or they have to lower their expenses. Does that make sense? So, yeah. but quarter over quarter, a, a company's got to keep increasing their profit to increase value. So what happens in this model is in order to expand markets, companies may buy other companies. So the big gorilla may beat up on the small gorilla, right? And consume them. So over time, because the, the nature of capitalism typically through something called the open stock market is to maximize profit, um, people start merging. So what initially was, if you go back to 1993, when the web came, there were many, many small internet service providers. And then now it's four major internet service providers, Verizon, T-Mobile, um, AT&T, Vodafone, et cetera, right? Um, and you have to go to them to host your websites or whatever, right? Or Amazon, right? Um, you take any industry, there's a publishing industry. At one time, there was lots and lots of publishers, including newspaper publishers, local publishers. Now we have probably a handful of publishers. So because of this concept of maximization of profit, the capitalism of 1700 is very different than the capitalism of 1900 and the capitalism of today. It forces consolidation of power. power. Now, um, Marx, I don't think, fully conceived of this either. He had some idea. He talked about monopolies. Lenin called it imperialism, okay? 
He called it, you know, imperialism, the highest stage of capitalism. Um, some of the libertarians will call it crony capitalism, right? And you have various words for this. But the bottom line is that um, a system goes through its evolution. It starts off as a child, becomes an adolescent, and it goes through these stages. Um, there's always been the question of how long could a monopoly crony capitalism continue? China has what's called state capitalism. They're not communists. They're not socialists. They're state capitalists. What does that mean? That means the government and the big companies are fused together. There's no, quote unquote, no pun intended, Chinese wall between them. Okay. Um, in the Don't United we have that here as well? Just there's, you know, it's kind of state, but it's just kind of done because of lobby groups and things like that. It's yeah, actually has merged, but right. underneath the underneath the veil. Yeah. So. Yeah, so China is much more avert about it. In the United States, you have someone who'll work in the Treasury, the Federal Reserve, who'll go work at a big bank. Someone who'll work in the pharmaceutical company will then go to government, work in the CDC. So they have this rotating concept, right? Um, the U.S. is just more sophisticated in presenting it to working people as though they're not China. But it is a form of crony capitalism, state capitalism, right? Um, so that's a background. So that's capitalism, right? Capitalism 101, capitalism evolves, it grows. Um, so when you have these right-wing, whatever you want to call them, ignorant people say, oh, you don't believe in capitalism. Well, which capitalism are you talking about? Are you talking about the capitalism where I could openly compete? Or are you talking about the capitalism where Zionists control the market? A few set of them collude among each other and pay off each other or the swarm or a handful of people, which capitalism are you talking about? So we have to be very clear because the capitalism you're talking about, right-wing Republican nut job, you actually were part colluding with the Democrats to create monopoly capitalism because you don't actually want competition, right? There's no way fucking Jared Kushner would ever be in the White House if it wasn't for his mama and his papa and Trump getting it in there. I don't consider that competition. There's no way Vivek the snake would be on stage unless all of his hedge fund people, um, you know, made sure that he got on stage, right? Now, someone like me has actually come bottoms up and that's what they do not want. They do not want everyday working people seizing power because they're afraid that will obliterate them and will shatter the swarm. So the nature of monopoly capitalism, it's an insider trading game. They want the select few trading among themselves and promoting each other. They may have some minor differences, you know, one day, you know, one wing of the establishment may knock off another wing like John F. Kennedy, right? But they're all the same, all right? So this is what people need to understand. So maximizing capitalism, maximization of profit to be specific, leads to monopoly capitalism, imperialism that we have today, okay? And this is why people say simply put, the rich get richer, right? So you look at the stock market today, it doesn't match with reality at all, right? The Federal Reserve and the banks can just pump money, send it to their fr friends in the banks who would then go buy the stock market. So um, it's become um, a model of ultra-imperialism. So some people have this false notion that, oh, when things get bad enough, I'm just going to wait until the shit hits the fan. It's going to get so bad, people are going to rise up. Well, that's magical thinking. That doesn't happen either. You could have more and more and more consolidation of power, more darkness, 
more oppression of the large masses of people. So no one should think that things just get better on their own. Okay. Things don't. Especially if they're poisoning the masses. They're poisoning things slow, like the frog in the boiling pot, right? It's everybody's being, you know, uh, medicated in some ways to make people more docile and less likely to rise up. Yeah, but what they also do, Jesse, that's one piece. But one of the phenomena they're doing, and you saw this in Argentina, you find a nut job, you present him as anti-establishment, who is fully in support of Ukraine, fully in support of, you know, uh, Israel. And you present him as anti-establishment. So they know the large body of people, 8 billion people, do not support the 0.0000001%. So they're creating, they're manufacturing fake anti-establishment people. And you can see that on the Republican and the Democrat side, Bernie Sanders on the Democrat side. You know, you see it with Trump, okay? You see it with, you know, um, all of these guys, Vivek the Snake, right? All these people. So they know the broad, I mean, they have all the data. They know someone like me will be leading a movement. They have that data. They watch all of us and they say, shit, we can't have this guy get any limelight, any view. So we're going to make him invisible. And we're going to find another brown skin guy like him, promote him, who's completely part of the establishment. Or we're going to find a Trump who just says all this shit, doesn't, didn't execute on any of it. And they really believe the masses are so stupid, they will elect him again. But they have a, a army of these kinds of people, Tulsi Gabbard, Booby fucking Kennedy, the left and the right. Um, and they just steal, literally plagiarize the real movement slogans, you know, but they never plan to do anything. So this is a phenomenon. So monopoly capitalism knows that their days are numbered, but their days are not numbered to everyone listening unless we actually build a movement. It'll just keep going. So part of what they do is they have all these influencers, people on social media, you know, taking pictures of Palestinians being blown up and buildings being vaporized and uh, 20 year olds who get overnight promoted, but have no plan to change any of it. So they're exposing truth. And I'm going to do a talk on this later at this evening, really leads to learned helplessness. So exposing truth without building a movement is just bullshit. Okay. In fact, it screws up the brain. And I'll talk about this later this evening at seven. It actually changes the frontal lobe of your brain and you become more docile, you become more depressed and you become accepting of your oppression. So I wanna warn everyone, all these influencers, all these people who come two years later, three years later, like Fucker Carlson or Doofus Rogan, suddenly waking up and then you have the more, <laughs> Really, really naive thing. People said, oh, well, Joe finally got it. Tucker Carlson, you know, he went through a lot. He's fighting for us now, or right? All these things are manipulation. So you don't build a bottoms up movement. So you don't support one of your own, me, you know? You start thinking, you start making excuses for them. Well, Booby Kennedy, you know, I guess he had to let, everyone had to be vaccinated at his home because that his wife made him do that, right? So you start making excuses for the swarm. Um, so there's only one way that history teaches us how to fix this. There's only one way. And I've spent my whole life on not only understanding this, but to optimize it and to educate people because ultimately nothing will change unless every one of you listening gets educated or you will be enslaved.
If you don't get educated, and what does that education look like? Well, that education is in, it, it, it means you having the tools on how to think. Not what to think, but how to think independent of me, independent of anyone. What are the, so now how to think? Wow, how do you think? What does thinking mean, right? How do you think? Well, we live in a world now, there's so much information. And you would think with all this information, we're going to have smarter people, healthier people, and more freer people. But you don't. The latest data shows that with all this information, you know, nearly 3 billion people now are obese. And another billion people will get obese. So it's not like information is getting people healthier. With all this information, 40% of people want to overthrow their governments. Okay. Um, 51% of kids feel, you know, hopeless. Nearly a billion people feel anxious and depressed. In the United States, 35% of women and children are clinically depressed. So clearly all this information is not giving you more wisdom, more health, more truth, more freedom. It isn't. And why? Because all of that information that's out there is disorganized purposefully and you're given pieces of it by somebody who wants to make money off that piece of information when it's organized that suits their needs, the left wing or the right wing or quote unquote independent, right? Acting like they're fighting for you. So these are the foundational things that are taking place. Now, there is a way out. And that way out is systems thinking. Reductionist thinking is where it's, a, again, it's the old story of the elephant and the king who brings six blind men to, to touch the elephant. So six blind men are brought in, their eyes are blindfolded. One touches a tusk and he thinks it's a spear. He doesn't see the elephant. One touches the feet of the elephant and he thinks it's a wall. One touches a tail and he thinks it's a brush. One touches the, the trunk and he thinks it's a snake, you see? So they don't see the whole, they're just seeing pieces. And if they ever put it together, they would come up with some very weird looking object, right? So this is called reductionism. And reductionist thinking has pervaded pretty much most of the educational systems, finance, academia, every aspect of human existence, this concept of reductionism. Now, reductionism is valuable if you wanna understand one piece of something, right? And you just wanna do that. But if you want to understand the whole, um, reductionism doesn't help. Now, engineers have to think systems. So if you're building an airplane, you can't just be saying, oh, I have a B-52 bomber here. I'm going to suddenly just change the size of the propeller. I just want more speed. Well, that's going to affect the vibration. It may affect the vibration of the fuselage, and your plane may blow up, right? So engineers know the ankle bone is connected to the foot bone, and you have to uh, you can't just go mechanical mechanics know this who, who, good mechanics who work on a car plumbers a good plumber will know this a good electrician will know this right you can't suddenly say oh i'm just going to bring increase the power to this house by a thousand amps and, and not go change the panels right other things internally right they know the ankle bones connected to the foot bone but lawyers don't need to know this politicians don't need to know this um etc and so systems thinking systems thinking. I'm a system scientist. I'm an engineer, a bunch of degrees. I built the first email system. 
Um, I know how to build things, take apart things, analyze things, innovate things. Electricians know how to do it. A mother knows how to do it, believe it or not. Mothers are engineering systems people. They have to manage a whole household. Um, lawyers learn how to bullshit. Politicians are full-time bullshitters, okay? Their words do not need to match their deeds. And yet, we keep electing these morons. We keep giving those people access to the media. And we actively make invisible someone like me, actively. They don't even want me out there because they know they don't even want to create controversy around me, you see? And everyone knows in 2020, because of the systems thinking approach that I trained people on, I'm trained on, we were the first ones to expose Fauci. We were the first ones to expose the election systems issue. We were the first ones to uh, reveal in our uh, very important lawsuit that the government has an infrastructure to every social media company. Long before the opportunists, those opportunists never tell the truth at the right time. They tell it when it's convenient so they can make money off people. So this is the dynamic that is taking place. Now we teach this dynamic to people, how the elites fuck you over. We teach the dynamic that those in power also create fake idols from them who will mouth quote unquote revolutionary phrases without any any real oomph to it you know they will mouth words of truth or freedom or health but they, they have no commitment to it and then they want to make sure that you never look at their histories and if you do find their histories that you're taught to um uh you know excuse them for some ungodly reason why um you start calling them by first names booby right or bobby or, well, he's a good guy, said a lot of good things. You know, you make statements like, well, you know, do you expect everyone to be perfect? Right? So you come up with all this mind boggling excuses for people who don't give a fuck about you. And this is part of the psychological operation that's taking place. Okay. So what's the solution? Well, history shows that when people, independent people who actually do the work, who are not part of the elites, who are not part of their little clubs, mobilize independently in decentralized ways to shatter the swarm, that is when change has always taken place. And those in power, their entire, I would say 90% of their effort, probably, probably even more, 95% of their existence goes as to making sure that you do not get educated to this phenomenon, that you are taught to suck them to be a cocksucker to them. That's what they teach you. Now, I did a tweet a couple of weeks ago with a video that I was just talking, which says that, you know, I'm the only presidential candidate who does not suck sinus cock. And it's true. And I said that it may sound non-presidential, but it's frankly very presidential. So there is a eternal process of making sure people suck Zionist cock, particularly in the United States, that they suck Trump's cock, tr suck, you know, Joe Biden, you know, on all those fools who have done nothing for you. They've never had to live a hard life. They've never had to work their butts off. They've never had to build anything bottoms up. They were given stuff. All of these people are trust fund kids. 
They were given stuff. They compromised with the swarm. And they teach you that, oh, that's how you got to play the game. No, that's not how you have to play the game. So this is a nature of monopoly, you know, uh, capitalism. That's where we're at. But history shows when people wake up, and it happened in the late 1800s, it happened in the early 1900s, they said, fuck this. I am a human being. I have dignity for myself. I'm getting up in the mornings. I'm actually doing work. I produce things. My labor is more important than capital. And I have power. And my fellow worker has power. And people started organizing. And those in power spend 95% of their time or more to make sure that you don't have respect for yourself. That you're watching stupid Taylor Swift and giving her awards. You're giving her people are buying $90,000 tickets to go to her concert. That you think Kim Kardashian is some smart businesswoman. That you watch Hollywood. That you have very little regard for people who work their butts off. That you are taught in a mindless, relentless process that's recurrent to diminish yourself by not respecting those of your own kind who work their butts off. And this is what 95% of the effort of the elites goes into through the advertising, through the leaders they present to you, through the, so, through the media, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it is always to diminish independent, truly independent-minded people like myself on our movement, which are growing explosively, by the way, independent of them. So they have to work very hard. So our movement is the most dangerous thing to them right now because we're basing it on this concept of going back and looking at the 1800s and 1900s. And it was always about working people mobilizing independently. So if you go to the 1800s, late 1800s, the slogan was workers unite. Karl Marx does not own that slogan, Jesse. The concept of let's, there's two communisms, uppercase communism, capital C, and lowercase communism, lowercase c. And what do I mean by that? Uppercase communism is modern China, okay, which is not communist, but people think it's communist, right? Or modern Russia, or a lot of these state capitalist uh, countries like North Korea, et cetera. Lowercase communism, let's talk about that. Let's have a real conversation about that. Well, one of the features of lowercase communism is the concept that of private property and personal property, okay? Very different. If I stitch my own shirt and I, you know, make my own thing, that's my property. Even Karl Marx never was against that, but he was against the privatization of land or privatization of the air or mountains. Someone saying, oh, I own that mountain over there. I own all the land, I own the air, right? Um, and if you go look at very ancient cultures, what you would call, quote unquote, primitive communism, hunter-gatherer societies, it's very well documented. People should just go do research. So what is primitive communism? Well, there was a time when the way we got food wasn't you went to Amazon and you ordered something. There was a time when you didn't get food by growing something in a plot of land that you said you owned. The way you got food was hunter-gatherers. You went into the forest and you gathered berries or you saw animals and you tracked them 
in migration patterns when human beings were nomadic. So the productive forces of human beings at one time of how they survived was in hunter-gatherer communities. They moved. They used to be in North America, then they moved down to the South. They, they followed the buffalo, right? And in those systems of production, production meaning how people survived, the relationships between one human and another human were significantly different than when we started owning property and then when we started, you know, um, hiring and firing workers. Let me explain that, okay? So there was a time when we were nomads, hunter-gatherers. There was a time when that society, you can call that hunter-gatherer society, quote-unquote primitive, quote-unquote communist society, moved to a society of feudalism. What is feudalism? Feudalism is at some point someone said, hey, I don't want to be roaming around like this. I've got a nice piece of land here. I'm, I've learned how to domesticate animals. I've learned how to plant a seed and grow it. So I don't, I've learned how to grow my own strawberries here, so I don't need to be hunting. And that was the creation of the agricultural system of production, no longer hunter-gatherer. And when the system of production changed, Jesse, the, the governance system changed. It became feudal. So the king, who owned a lot of land, took care of his subjects. He protected the borders of that village. And everyone gave him a little piece of the action of the land, maybe 10, 20, 30%, you see? And at that point, we went away from this primitive communist hunter-gatherer society to a society now of agri agriculture feudalism and the, and, the, and the political system was monarchies, okay? Now, in primitive communist societies, believe it or not, they were matriarchies. Women ran most of those societies. There's a reason for that. They were relatively egalitarian. There was division of labor. You know, this, you know, like the strong person went and hunted. You know, the, the women typically did the gathering. You know, not to say they weren't women hunters by any means. Okay, this is, but, and then there was a point from these feudal monarchies, um, people started innovating. Okay, they started innovating things. One of the innovations was a steam engine. Okay. People started creating the concept of manufacturing. People started creating, you know, ships, right? And boats, they started traveling. Um, and that led to a, so innovation moved us from a primitive communist society to a feudal society, which was run by a monarchy. So primitive communism run by matriarchy. The forces of production changed and I moved to a feudal society run by monarchies. And typically, there were kingdoms, right, all over the world. And then finally, there emerged a very interesting group of people called the merchants, the capitalists. And they didn't want to be confined to their one. They didn't want to be a serf just plowing the land. They said, hey, I'm going to go over to this other land. I'm going to take one good here and trade it over there and bring it back and forth, right? I'm going to learn how to manufacture things. And that led to what we have today called capitalism okay it was emerging capitalism and capitalism was quite quite powerful it was driven by uh inspired by a certain level of greed you know christopher columbus was driven by capitalist forces why he left you know um spain and portugal and came to the united because he, he was promised land he could have you know um and so on all right so capitalism 
I've already discussed that evolved into the superstructure that we have today. But the key thing to remember is in the quote unquote pure communist model, there was no ownership of private property. So if you go look, if you go talk to the Iroquois or the Dravidians of South India, when you say you're going to own like a piece of, it doesn't compute to them. It's not in their psyche. You say, uh, and you'll Everybody. see, in, huh? Everybody, everybody just shares the land. You just kind of share all the resources, share all the land. Is that the kind of? Well, you know, it's not even. It's the word shares. It's not in their vocabulary. You see, the key thing that I've just shared here, Jesse, is that the notion is. This is a very deep concept. Our consciousness, how we perceive everything around us, consciousness is a direct function of how we survive. Let me repeat that again. Our consciousness is reflected in how we survive, how we produce and make goods. And this is um, quite extraordinary, this insight, right? That some of these social scientists did observe, okay? Our consciousness is not something that sort of poof, this comes out of nowhere. Our consciousness can change. So if you were living off the land in communities, right, where you were nomadic, where you had to survive, your consciousness is not of ownership of land. You don't even think that way. You see? So I'll give you an example. In the Tamil language, the language I speak, which has an ancient history to the Dravidians, who are the ancient people of India, who are very similar, believe it or not, to the Iroquois nation. Again, and it was matriarchal. So in much of my language, I'll say, please come to our home. The pronoun is our. It's actually very disrespectful to say my. Okay. If you look at the Mongolians, you know, who travel around when they built one of their yurts and they're out there hunting and let's say someone comes and eats all their food. They're not angry. They're quite happy. Wow. This is great. Someone enjoyed my food. So we have to understand our consciousness of ownership, you know, how we perceive our relationship with other human beings is directly related to how we produce food. And this is why in a very juvenile way, people say, well, you know, we're born, we're born, we're all born greedy. It's not true. The brain, our existence is quite, actually quite plastic. It's quite malleable. Okay. So this is a very important center. So during the, that stage of primitive communism, there was division of labor. People shared their food, but they didn't have this. I mean, it's not like someone went and killed a buffalo and they made their own buffalo thing. That was theirs. That's personal property. But you didn't say, oh, I own the air here. I own this land. You see, that wasn't in people's psyche. That's why if you read many of the poetry of the American Indians, what, what do you mean own the land? The land is for all of us, you say? So this is very important to understand. The words, the language, language is thought. If you go look at the pronouns and the language these people use is very, very different. It's quite interesting. It had a structure, the structural matrix of their language and their thought was a direct function of how they produce goods. You find it fascinating as an aside, people who get very, very depressed, you know, in American culture, run down and depressed and they're on drugs. They found you just take those people to a farm and you get them working, all their depression goes away in 90 days. So it's clear, you know, you reap what you sow, right? How you work, how you produce. You notice some of the happiest people in the world are people actually make things, build things, because they know they can stand on their own two feet. 
the people like all these other numbskulls who manipulate working people, they're actually Stressed. very, very spineless, insecure people. They don't know what will happen to them. They can't make probably their own food. They probably can't even make their own lunch. They probably can't fix anything in their homes. They're totally dependent, yet they act like they're so independent. Okay? All of, all of this class of people. Okay, the 0.0001%. They're actually very weak. So they have to spend an extraordinary amount of time boasting about their wealth, demeaning other people. Okay? so. That's what primitive communism was. It was this notion that, and, and by the way, in places like Sardinia, if you have, have a chance to go there, you see it still exists. So 90% of the land of Sardinia, which is a big island off the coast of Italy, is owned by all the people. It's communal land. And in 2007 or something, the, the Italian government said, oh, to the Sardinian people, we're going to make this all national parks nationalize it. Nationalization is not, quote unquote, lowercase c communism. This is again what happens. So when after a quote unquote revolution, the leaders say, we're going to nationalize everything. That is not, that means the government now owns that, which means the elites again, you see? This is, this is where people get confused. Ooh, and that becomes capital C communism. True lowercase c communism, which has existed throughout history, you know, is when it is dispersed. It's, it's, you don't even have to, there's no, there's no, it's not like the government owns it. It's everyone's. So when the Italian government tried to nationalize through the national parks, people revolted. So in Sardinia, if you go, you know, and if you want to be a shepherd and you say, oh, this 20 acres, I'm going to grow sheep on great. But after you die, it doesn't mean your son, it doesn't, Jared Kushner doesn't get the land, right? or Joe Biden's son doesn't get it. It just goes back to the people. So you're able to use it, right? Make, produce meat, you know, help other people, right? You're able to make money off it. But when you pass on, the land goes back to the people, you see? So this is a very interesting concept, right? Um, now, most of Karl Marx's work, and by the way, 90% of people who comment, probably 95, probably 99, who comment, make commentary about communism have never even read Das Kapital. That's what's so fucked up, okay? And if you actually read Das Kapital, even in chapter one, it's very, sounds a lot similar to Adam Smith, actually, who has defined capitalism. In fact, 95% of Marx's work is a retrospective review, looking at what happened. Only a very small percentage is, you know, prospective, okay? But most of it is retrospective. But his view from a human standpoint was he felt that every individual wants to pursue some dream that they have that defines who they are. In some ways, it's actually a very humanist concept. And the idea was that in order for you to pursue your individuality, your fullness of your skills, the state should not exist. There should be no state. Okay. Um, and that was the thesis and that the state very different than classical liberalism, was created not to create a kumbaya, not to make everyone feel great like John Locke taught, classical liberalism, but actually to make sure that with the military, with the army, that the state would make sure the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. It, its goal was to um, shove under the rug 
the class contradictions through the force of authoritarianism. And then the question came, Jesse, how do you get rid of the state? Okay, it gets very interesting. Um, so if you want freedom, so the libertarians don't really address it. They just say, I'm a libertarian. Or the anarcho-syndicalists just say, I'm an anarchist. Well, how are you going to get rid of the state? This gets very interesting. So during the time right before the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, when working people were rising up, and this was a very, very interesting set of discussions that took place, okay, um, was the, so it's not who said the abolishment of private property, that is primitive communism, you say, so this person needs to go get educated a little bit, all right, it's not like someone said that is what primitive communist cultures were. Go back and study primitive cultures, okay? Um, that's where a lot of this came from. Um, so the reality is, how do you make that occur now? So if we go back to this state that when you consolidate private property, right? And so look at how did most people make their money? The wealthiest people in the world make their money from what? Real estate, okay? Um, property ownership. Go to New York. Their people are slumlords whose, you know, Trump's father gave him $200 million worth of property. I mean, come on. He didn't really, if he just did nothing, which he probably should have because he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, that $200 million would have become $2 billion, okay? Instead, he went bankrupt, okay? Just, you know, you'll buy a house for $100,000 30 years ago, it's going to be worth about a million today, okay? Just the nature of growth. Uh, so property ownership is how most people made a lot of their money. They own property and then they use one property to buy more property and they use that property to get loans and buy more property. And then, um, that's, you know, so, so you have to look at where a lot of ownership, um, of land comes from. Um, and the fact that owning land is one of the most powerful ways that people make a ton of money. Okay. And, and controlling others and controlling others. Right. Now, contrast that to with you're a Native American or a Dravidian or an Iroquois or a Mon Mongol, Mongolian, you know, you're just moving around. You, you don't have the concept of your goal is I got to hunt, I got to gather, I got to hunt. The concept of owning land, and this may be very hard for people to conceive of, but if you can, that concept never existed. That is what is known as primitive communism, right? So now you look at what's going on today, right? And so the question is, if we can all concur, and I tend to believe this, the government, the state exists to ensure the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And we can have a longer discussion about that, but that's the capital S state, right? That is what the state is. If you truly had a state that cared about its people and you devolved power, well, first of all, you'd have direct democracy. Everyone would be armed. You would have popular militias. You wouldn't have standing armies and you would have standing police forces. This would be one of the features of a true, I mean, you go to hunter gatherers, everyone had a spear, right? It was a tribe. Everyone was armed. So you can see whenever a quote unquote, a revolution takes place, initially it's popular militias, but the day that they create a standing army, the day that, you know, if, if you know, if, if, if let's say we had a, a village of a million people, right? 
The day that a finite set of, and all of them are armed with their guns, the day that a smaller set of people say, okay, all of you, you know, 990,000 people, please turn your weapons. In. We're now creating a government and 10,000 people. That's when you know that is called the creation of a state and they're going to suppress the other. So one of the critical features of a truly, truly lowercase c communist system would be everyone's armed. Everyone is armed. The police are run by the people. You rotate through. And there's a there's no standing armies. Now, we don't have that anywhere on the planet right now. Okay? Nowhere. Now, there was a period when that would occur. So let's go back to that. So in the Paris Commune, some people should go study that, when the German and the French armies were killing each other on the front, fighting each other, two nation states, two feudal countries, the workers and the, and the concept of worker was just emerging, right? Remember, working class didn't exist in feudal systems. Those were called serfs. Workers didn't exist in primitive communist cultures, right? The concept of a worker, the worker, very fascinating, really comes into being in sort of, you could argue, sort of the early 1700s, right? Late 17, when we start creating a manufacturing line, when you, when you dedicate people to doing particular tasks. Does that make sense? Okay. So people need to, worker is a very specific term. A worker is someone who gets a, a salary. So you're not working, you're not a hunter-gatherer, hunter-gatherer societies. You're not a serf where you're given a piece of land and you have to work that land or you'll get killed, right? You are go to a factory or you, you, you're given a salary. That's called a wage slave, okay? Now, in each, from the feudal system that, you actually got a little bit more freedom. You could vote now. You got to vote. You couldn't vote for your king, right? You just paid homage to your king because he came from God. But in a capitalist system, they created the concept of democracy. But it was democracy for the wealthy, let's be clear. They gave you a little bit of rights. They called it representative democracy, not direct democracy, because you had to go through the elites. So you cast your vote for an elite, and then he voted. That was their check base. They didn't want the masses controlling, right? So they said, oh, why don't you vote for Jesse? Jesse will take care of you. But Jesse's controlled by the elites, and that's what we have today. So you would call this, you know, swarm democracy, okay? You would call it sort of a flavor, but it's really not direct democracy. They right, don't want to if, if your yeah. vote mattered, then they wouldn't be allowing you to vote in that type of system. Right. So they funnel you into these intermediaries, you see? And they hopefully will vote for you in these things called legislatures. So... Um, some people call this bourgeois democracy, right? When we have all the te technology today to vote directly. We do. Uh, you know, you, why do you need all these representative idiots, right? You have enough education. If anything, people should be educating people on an issue, left or right. And then you go vote directly on every issue. So that's what it should go to. And we have all the tools to get us there. But why aren't we there, right? So in a truly communists, lowercase c, and you go back to primitive communism, people would get together in their tribe and they would have discussions and they would vote it would, by consensus. Now, women ran these societies because women were the ones who were managing the affairs of state in many ways. 
from a you know skill base because the men were out there predominantly doing the hunting right so the women had to make sure the village was kept right the the children were educated that kind of thing right the societal structures they were part of that societal structures while the men were out you know busy yes. doing it, their it was things part of the natural and it's what's interesting is many of these primitive communist societies were polygynous not gamus guinness g-y-n-o-u-s a woman had multiple husbands this may be hard for guys to digest this but it goes to the natural state if you go to the natural state of a lioness multiple lions may impregnate her but you always know the child not from the male but from the lineage of the woman that's why they were called matriarchal so many of these hunter-gatherer societies were indeed polygynous um you know it's just it just because but and because they were living in harmony with nature um men would move from one woman to another it wasn't like some sexual thing it was just the nature of things of how those structures existed you see what i'm saying it was just sort of the survival model right feudal societies when we said so when we moved for hunter gather when someone created the plow and when someone said i can domesticate an animal things changed significantly what happened then so when we created the plow so you may have been hunting and gathering you know for thousands of years jesse and one day someone creates a plow what happens then you say wow i don't have to hunt i own this piece of land and this is when the word my comes in into the vocabulary my land now you own this land and let's say you're the strong man you got to have women right why because you needed children to inherit your land and believe it or not the concept of the last name comes in then so if you go look at again remnants of this in the dravidian culture that i come from my name in india is just shiva or if you think about it in the american culture you know sunshine like the ancient american indians used it was just a natural name there was no lineage okay and that's your yeah. first name so your first name would be your name yeah that's it so when I came to the United States, and in fact, if you look at India, particularly in South Indian culture, they're the remnants of this. It would be V.A. Shiva, Shiva, son of Ayodhya, had a first name. When I came to the United States, we didn't have a last name. So we had to take my dad's first name and make it my last name. That's why you see Ayodhya there. That's my dad's first name. So wow. my dad, so my dad didn't have, he, so his name became Ayodhya Ayodhya because he had to make him a first name because he already had a lot. So anyway, it's confusing. But the reason I bring that up is um, the concept of the last name feature was created to pass land on. You see, Does it also created to cre make the slave system, you know, because a lot of people believe that if you are put into that straw man name, that all caps name, the dead entity name, that's that slave name. And you're breaking actually all the commandments by actually accepting that slave name and perpetuating it. That too, that's a different phenomenon. But I'm saying that was when they created slavery, you know, like that's why Malcolm X changed his name to Malcolm X, right? versus Malcolm Little. But the point is the con the ownership concept came in when we stopped being hunter-gatherers and we settled in one location and you said, I own this land. So when you own land, you know, oh, I'm going to be dying. Who will own my land? I need an heir. So now I'm going, now it flips, it becomes a patriarchal society and the man now has to have a wife or many wives. Okay. And they carry his last name.
okay? And then the land is owned. You, you have the concept of wills and trusts and probate. And all this stuff starts happening. And then you have one guy who owns a piece of land. He's going to marry another woman whose father owns land. And you start having empires, right? Because, because so now it's fascinating. Now look at on the social level. In primitive communist cultures, people moved from one mate to another mate based on what some people call sex love. It was an attraction and love, right? Is in its most primitive form. In the agricultural societies, that gets diminished and it becomes business relationships. So two families would marry and the man would have many mistresses and potentially the woman because these were business arrangements. There wasn't really love in these relationships. Victorian culture was this. Indian Commonwealth culture became this families get married, right? So you'll notice in Indian culture, and, and this is going to piss off a lot of Indians, 50% of Indian men are cheating on their wives. Because, because most of the, the arranged marriage, they don't the actually have marriage. that physical attraction. There right. isn't that chemistry, that bond, that that ultra dynamic physical thing right. that brings people together. So because of that, then they stray off. Yeah, so it's called sex love, right? Well, and 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 people would also move if they, you know, so it wasn't like you were bonded. So after we had these these kinds of cultures, right? Then when capitalist culture comes in. Now the relation becomes even more property-based, okay? You have prenuptials now, okay? You marry me, I marry you. What happens if we get divorced? Well, okay, you get this and that, right? Lawyers get involved, the government's involved. So you have three people in a marriage now, you, the other person, and the state, okay? So the reason I'm sharing this, Jesse, is how we produced goods and foods changed our entire body chemistry, changed our relationships. So you have to actually ask, what is it to be human anymore? What is a quote-unquote marriage? What is a relationship? The elites, I can argue, share with you, I would argue they don't really know what the fuck love is. They haven't experienced love. It's based on, um, probably it's a form of legalized prostitution. That's what most of it is. You know, you, you know women hook up with this guy because he's going to take care of them. They need the status symbol, right? So you have this whole culture that's come out, which is not based on this pure spiritual sense of a love and attraction, spiritual otherwise, right? It's power based, dynamics. It's based on power dynamics. It's based on money. It's based on capital, right? Um, and that's what this has become now. But what I've just walked you through is a, a notion of primitive communism. Property comes into being. Under the feudal structure, that property concept expands because now we have ownership, titles, deeds, wills, all that, right? Con right? And that's what we have today. So, um, so to people who really want to understand what capital C communism is, please distinguish capital C communism versus lowercase c communism. Capital C, you say, oh, those communists, those communists are coming after us. Well, you're probably talking about Russia, which is not communist. It's actually a form of state capitalism or oligarchy, and China is open state capitalism. The United States is just a plutocracy right now, right? Um, we don't have pure capitalism anymore. And getting back to the how we change all this, so if you look back at the during the um, the first time in history, working people try to unite. You know, who, who are getting paid salaries and say, "Hey, 
we want to overthrow the system was the Paris Commune. And why is that thing important? And, that, and so when Marx came up with the word communism, that wasn't his word. He was doing it. He was just sitting back. You know, I don't know if he smoked a bite, but he did have a beard scratching his beard. And he was looking back at this event that took place and he was observing it and commenting about it. And that was the Paris Commune. And the Paris Commune where workers of France took over while the Germans and the French were butchering each other, the Franco-Prussian War. And they said, fuck these two idiots. We're going to take over Paris. And this sent such a bomb off because they were like, fuck, all other workers are going to organize against nation states, right? Against their governments. So the French and Prussian armies got together. They marched back into Paris, beat the shit out of the workers, and then went back to fighting. Okay? So the bourgeois were so upset, or more, so that even the worst enemies will come together to put down workers. And I want everyone to listen to this. So the concept of working people rising up and uniting scares the shit out of them. So they've had to create the red scare around this, right? They don't want this to occur. They don't want working people to fight for their interests and choose one of their own who comes from below. So they have to give people boondoggles from above, right? That's what they're doing. So that was the first time, Jesse, and you could argue that revolution was successful maybe for two months, okay? And it's very incredible if you read it, they made some interesting gains, right? So it's like, think about that, like uh, the first time someone figured out how to get an airplane off the ground, like Kitty Hawk. It got up for 12 seconds and then it came down. Does that mean we should stop building an airplane? No, that means they got up for 12 seconds. Let's applaud that. You know, they really gave a big run to the um, to the elites, right? That was a Franco, uh, that was Paris Commune. The next time in my view that it occurred was among the Russian workers. Here was, a, now remember, before the uh, that revolution, the Russian revolution, people had always predicted there would be a massive revolution in, guess where? Germany. Because Germany had manufacturing, you know, factories, people, you know, there's a lot of consolidation of the working class. And people thought a revolution was going to come in Germany. It didn't. Lenin, and, and even before Lenin, there were many, many uprisings of workers all over Russia. Okay? And when the Bolshevik revolution took place before it, there were two trends. So here's the czar. Here's the working people, right? So they still are living in a fundamentally feudal kingdom. They don't really have an industrialized base, which is only 5% of the public. So this was from a theoretical standpoint, was that they, did they have enough workers to do a revolution? Because most of the people were peasants. Peasants are not, you know, getting wages, right? Wage slave. So in that period, there were people saying, look, we don't need to overthrow the czar. We don't need a revolution. We can work with him. He's a good guy. Let's just figure out a way. We don't need to overthrow him, right? And these were called, I would call it the not so obvious establishment or the social Democrats of the time, right? They're saying, hey, you know, we can work something out. Like they didn't want to bite the bullet. Like shit, like we actually, if we're going to create a society, it has to be run by the working people, you say? And so, and they call themselves Marxists, Jesse. They would call themselves Marxists. Okay? So these Marxists, by the way, when, when Marx died, Engels said the worst people in the world are Marxists. 
quite fascinating, okay? Now, again, if you read the works of Das Kapital, Marx was looking back and he was retrospectively seeing this phenomenon and he was he he didn't he was projecting into the future that working people may organize, okay? But you have to understand he defined workers as a proletariat. And he had two words for workers, the proletariat and all you anti-lower KC communists, listen very carefully, and all you liberal elites who think you're communist, listen carefully. There were two words. Marx said the lumpen proletariat, lumpen proletariat. He wrote an essay on this. And then there were the true workers. What's the difference? What a proletariat, a true worker, creates something, takes his labor, makes something, does productive work, and he sells that, you know, for something. A lumpen proletariat is a scam artist. He's a criminal. He lives off the state, right? He's, you know, like you could put sort of homeless people, right? Um, like the, the whole strata of people who are trying to scam the system and they think they're radicals, okay? Criminals, the lumpen elements, all right? He called them lumpen proletariat, people who don't want to work. Now think about what Bernie Sanders is. Is Bernie Sanders a proletariat? No, he's a lumpen proletariat. So what has emerged is the so-called left, this is where it gets very interesting. The right attacks the left. Oh, those guys are communists and socialists. No, they have taken up the prestige of, oh, we're fighting for workers. But when they say workers, Jesse, they're talking about the lumpen proletariat, okay? Because they don't want anyone to work. They actually hate working people, just like Zionists hate Jewish people, okay? The so-called left liberal elites, when they say, I'm a Marxist, they're actually saying they don't want anyone to work. Okay. So Bernie Sanders, does he work? I don't think the guy's ever fucking held a job in his life. Okay. Um, so the lumpen proletariat is their worker. Who's the guy who doesn't work. So they actually hate workers. The people actually do the work. So the right wing attacks the left wing saying, oh, they're communist, right? They're not. They're actually anti-worker. And then this gives the right to the right-wing Republicans to fuck over working people, okay? So they, they get to be exploitative. They use that justification over fighting communism. So they're just using that rationale to say, I'm going to fuck over working people. I'm going to make sure we bust their unions. They don't get any wages, et cetera, right? We, I'm, I'm a very smart capitalist, you know? I kept my, that's what they're doing, okay? So this is very, so, so lumpen proletariat and proletariat. So when people again say, what is communism? Well, which communism are you referring to? The Marxism, communism of Bernie Sanders? Or are you talking about the concept of the true proletariat who work for a living and produce stuff? So this is the dialectic that's been created. So in the late 1800s and 1900s, the proletariat in America took up the slogan, workers unite. By the way, Mark Karl Marx doesn't own that slogan. That's existed probably to, since the time of Pharaoh, right? So Workers Unite is not owned by Karl Marx. Karl Marx was reflecting on the Paris Commune. And he, by the way, a lot of people don't know Karl Marx was actually a journalist. He used to work for the, the New York Tribune. He was in the United States writing. He was actually a writer, okay? He was a journalist. So if anything, the Communist Manifesto is a 
retrospective review of the Paris Commune. And it was just reflecting their slogan, which was Workers Unite. It's not his, he was just reflecting on this, okay? So you have to give credit where it's due. So in the late 1800s and early 1900s, American workers started organizing because the conditions in the United States were quite abusive to the proletariat, the true workers. Child labor, they couldn't get proper food. I mean, go rat infested neighborhoods, you know, plague-like conditions, right? So they started organizing and it was called the great upheaval. Women in Lowell, Massachusetts, women in, in, in sweatshops in New York, men joined them. And these movements started rising and rising and they scared the hell out of the elites. And those movements forced the elites in the 1930s to give people, okay, I'm gonna give you some pension. Okay, I'm gonna give you some roads and bridges. Okay, fine, your kids, I'm not gonna make them work. I'm gonna eliminate child labor. Okay, we're gonna build infrastructure so you get some plumbing <laughs> to get water, right? All of that stuff came from these militant, powerful movements. Okay? Yes. And by the way, Bernie Sanders is a fucking Zionist Israeli citizen. All right? Um, anyway, but you have to understand, the bamboozling that goes on is projecting him as, oh, he's a worker and fighting for workers' rights. He doesn't even know what a worker is. But anyway, so as these movements came up in the 30s, Jesse, there were many, many victories. Millions of people, blacks and whites, were on the streets protesting. You know, close to 100 million people, 11,000 strikes. And this really, literally put a gun in the head of Franklin Roosevelt, who was a racist scumbag. He was an elite. So then he did the New Deal. Said, okay, we're going to give you some shit. Because, if you, because they knew if they did, they were going to have a revolution in the United States. So as that progressed by the 1950s, a scumbag by the name of McCarthy, Joseph McCarthy, um, who was a senator from the state of Wisconsin. By the way, in the state of Wisconsin, seven American workers were shot for fighting for the eight-hour workday. Four American workers were hanged in the 1800s fighting for the eight-hour workday. And all over the world, in commemoration of those American workers, it was called May Day. May Day comes from America. And now no one in America celebrates it. And they're taught that's a capital C communist holiday. It was a lowercase C, if anything, in commemoration of those hardworking American workers. So McCarthy branded all these movements, Jesse, as uppercase communist, uppercase, coming out of Russia that surely Americans are just dumb people. They will never fight for their rights. It must, they must be told by Russia to fight for their rights. And that branding created the right wing, the red scare, but it was really done to make sure people didn't organize workers' movements bottoms up. And the force of the police, the intelligence agencies started going after everyone who would ever dare raise the slogan, Workers Unite. Zionists were involved in that. The Nazis were involved in that. The fascists were involved in that. Okay? And it's interesting that's right around 1950 when the state of Israel is being created. This is no coincidence. So the attack on workers begins in the United States. At the same time, you have Zionism growing. Okay? It's, it's, no, it's no coincidence. 
So there was an active effort by the right wing to brand all of these movements as communist, right? And on top of it, they spoke to people like Bernie Sanders, you know, or the Kennedys and said, okay, now there's a vacuum in leadership because we're cutting the balls off the true workers movements. You guys go run those unions, okay? And Booby fucking Kennedy does this. If you, whenever movements come up, he sends his people there and he takes over these movements. But, and then he suppresses them and he controls them. So the left's job was to take over these emerging organic movements. So the right wing called all of these movements communist, capital C. And the left's job was to take over these movements and to give the illusion like they were fighters. So this is where the dialect, this is where the theater begins. The right wing attacks communism, don't form movements. The left wing says, we got it all under control. Bernie Sanders, I'm fighting for workers. The not so obvious establishment. And, and by the 1970s, there were no more strikes in the United States. So between 1900 and 1970, there was a very powerful workers movement in the US. 11,000 strikes, 250 million people on the ground. After 1970 till today, maybe 900 strikes, maybe 2 million people took to the streets. And what happened economically during that first period, 1900 to 1970, as the American economy grew, everyone's wages grew because people were fighting. They wouldn't take bullshit. Between 1970 till today, the, wa the wages of the first and second income quartile okay, have gone down, okay? That's what's happened. The income quartiles of the first and second income quartiles are diminished because there's been no movement. And all of these libertarians, communitarians, whoever the fuck you want to call them, none of them want to build a bottoms-up movement anymore that is militant and wants to mobilize workers to ultimately overthrow the swarm. They don't want to talk about that. They want to, like, couch it. Ooh. So I'll give you an example of that in the anti-Zionist movement right now. What did the liberal elite say? Cease fire now. Peace now. So you have the obvious Zionist hoodlums. The real opposition to that is coming out boldly against Zionism and saying we must end the occupation, particularly of America, by Zionism. Because as long as America is occupied by Zionists, there's not going to be a free Palestine. You see, all these quote-unquote Jewish liberal Zionists do not want to talk about this, okay? They do not want to talk about this, all right? So some idiot is asking, have I ever been a member of the Communist Party? So clearly he doesn't understand this, okay? He's talking uppercase C. He doesn't have either the brains to understand this. And he should probably go listen to the video again. We're talking about a phenomenon of society develops. And so what I want to do, Jesse, is um, I think I just want to take a, I just want to grab some water. I want to play a video that, you know, I think I played it last time um, that'll help people under. I mean, it's, it's sort of what what we need to do. And there's a piece of this video which has um, and if people go to truthfreedomhealth.com, they'll understand it. So the future is about learning how to think systems. And let me put this up there. I think um, I think uh, I have to one second. I, ha I think I have to check the box, right? 
so I can hear the sound. So I want everyone to listen to this so you really understand this phenomenon of, um, yeah, so this is on. So two things, that homework assignment for people, if you're serious and you don't want to be lazy, and the reason we're in this condition is because people are lazy, I've made it easy. Everyone should go watch this video, Shattered the Swarm. You may want to put out on your thing, um, John and Jesse, shatteredthesworm.com. Just put it in the post-its, everyone can go there. But while you should watch that video, because it'll give you a systems analysis of who the enemy is. But right now, I want to play this video. That'll give you an understanding of why we need to get educated and why you need to take a systems approach. So here we go. We have allowed our country to be taken over from within. And the end goal is you will have a homogenized world where we will become slaves. Because there is a condition among the elites that really thinks they're better than you, deep down inside them, that you don't deserve the freedoms you have. They don't. This reality is what people need to wake up to. And we need to all unite working people. There's only one movement that can do that. And that is the movement that we started creating here in Massachusetts, the movement for truth, freedom, and health. Look, I've been a student of politics since I was a four-year-old kid, studying revolutionary movements, left wing, right wing. There's a physics, there's a nuclear science to destroying the establishment. To build a bridge, you need to understand Newton's equation. You need to understand the laws of gravity. You need to understand Poisson's ratio. There is a way to build a revolution. And that's why I put this together. My goal is to train a army of truth, freedom, and health leaders. We don't need followers like social media. We need leaders, but we need training because the educational system does not teach them history, nothing. So in three hours, that's what I've started doing. That's the solution. We wow. got to train people first with understanding what a system is, the dynamics of all systems that affect nature. The second is understanding the interconnection between truth, freedom, and health. Freedom is the ability to move freely, communicate freely, talk freely. Without freedom, you cannot convert ideas hypothesis into truth, which is science. And without freedom, you can't really get to truth. And without truth, you make up fake problems, and fake solutions, which means you destroy our health. And without health, which is the infrastructure of us and our body, you can't fight for freedom. Truth, freedom, health. Third concept is it has to be bottoms up. Working people. And what the right wing has done is whenever you say working people unite, that must be communist. Meanwhile, they've let the Democrats run unions which suppress workers, completely corrupt. But when you look at the arc of American history, it's been when working people came up. We need to go local. Every solution I'm coming up with as a part of this movement, we're giving the science, which is the truth, and then we tell people what they can do on the ground. Like with election fraud, you don't need to wait for some lawyer. Our goal is to train people to go local, to go local, to go local, fight locally. Forget lawyers, forget politicians, forget celebrities. You've got to learn politics, and there is a science to it. They lock us down, we should be ready to shut them down. And the fourth part of this principle is a not-so-obvious establishment. So when you look at a system, there's always something that disturbs you from getting to your goal. Well, the biggest disturbance is a not-so-obvious establishment, which are those people who claim they're for you, on the left and the right, the Al Sharptons who tell black people I'm for you, the Tucker Carlsons. Do you think any true anti-establishment person will ever be on Fox or CNN? I don't think so. They both mislead working people back into the establishment. Without this solid understanding of political physics and theory, you're screwed. You're going to follow on the left wing, Bernie Sanders. Oh, he said something. Or Robert Kennedy. Scumbags. Or you're going to follow some right wing talk show host. 
they're not going to lead us to liberation. It's us. We're building a bottoms-up movement, and that political physics, it's a nuclear science of change. Bottoms-up. We have to organize to understand that there is people who talk a good game and then look at what they actually do, left and right. I'm sorry, Sean Hannity may say some good things, but I don't see the urgency in his voice to get something done, and it can only come when you weaponize yourself with the right knowledge. You need to be able to identify a rat. You know, Christ didn't go after the Romans, right? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who screwed him up. His own, quote unquote, people. And that's where we're at. So these four concepts I've built into a curriculum where people can go to truthfreedomhelp.com and it's an educational program. We need to train people in political theory. You need to have physics. And I've created that curriculum. People need to get educated. We need to get educated fast. And within a half an hour, an hour, I can teach people two years of MIT control systems. I teach people those concepts. Then I apply it. Anyone can understand it. And then you say, oh, I got to build a bottoms up movement. They have to get politically astute and then they have to go locally and act, not sit there on social media. They have to act locally, defy locally, do civil obedience locally, but with knowledge on how to build a movement. The Senate campaigns expanded to the movement for truth, freedom and health, and they can find it on truthfreedomhealth.com. So people can sign in, they can get access to a bunch of videos. If they want to take a course and become a truth, freedom, health leader, I offer a full scholarship there. But we want people to make a commitment that they'll study, that they'll get certified, that they'll go do activities on the ground. So go to truthfreedomhealth.com. So anyway, Jerry, the re, uh, Jesse, the reason this is important is that everything I've shared today about talking about these phenomenon, you know, classical liberalism, right? Libertarianism. If you talk to all of these people, they can't give you a material, physical notion of what this is. Because most of this, in fact, all of it was created by philosophers. It was in the 1900s. So in some ways, you had John Locke trying to understand the world, right? Thomas Paine, right? You had Adam Smith and Karl Marx or uh, uh, Bukharin, right? The anarcho-syndicalists, right? And all these people, right? The Austrian school. But again, they're looking at the world from an economist view, from a legal view, from a philosophical view, not founded in, let's say, hard natural principles of you know like as principles of as, as as this pen falling to the ground well that is what i uncovered okay and i uncovered that from system science so engineering system science is what pretty much of anything you have in the world today comes out of an engineering system science okay um and what we need to so someone asked how can homeless people be scamming the point is homeless people are not the proletariat, okay? They're, if any if anyways, they're like ultra victims who are used by people like Bernie Sanders, okay? But a homeless person is not out there working at a job and making a pen, right? Or creating something. So the notion of the proletariat, they're more the lumpen proletariat, okay? Um, so that's the point, right? Uh, but Bernie Sanders, wants to, he, he, he would like to mobilize homeless people and say that he's helped. He wants more homeless people, okay? He profits by having more homeless people. It's a poverty pimp. But Helps his cause. What's that? 
It helps his cause. It helps his cause. The more homeless people, the more criminals. That's what they call the workers, right? And our workers are being screwed. No, those he profits from, but just like Zionists profit from more anti-Semitism because they can say, oh, see, you're being attacked. Therefore, come our way. Let's go butcher these people over there because these people are abusing you. But anyway, it's a very fucked up logic. But the point is that, um, that it was only in the 19, late 1900s and mid 1900s, sorry, mid 1900s that the concept of understanding large scale systems started to emerge with thermodynamic theory, right? With engineering control systems. So what I'm saying is if we as humans want to look at this problem of how do we actually build a movement, it's no, it's, it's as physical as building this pen, right? It's a lot of technology in this pen, by the way. Okay. Um, what do you do? How do you create a movement? And what I'm here to share is that there is a physics, there is a dynamics that is as powerful as the systems and the dynamics that is needed to get an airplane off the ground, Bernoulli's principle, or to create wireless communication. You needed Maxwell's equations, right? You could talk all day, but that's where this these things that we see in the world, in the real physical world, came into being by scientific understanding. And that is what my life has been about, understanding those systems. And to those people who want to get educated and become truly forces of change, you're not going to be able to do that without system thinking. And you have to put in the time. You can't just mouth off all sorts of nonsense, you know? So whenever you see all these people talking about isms, they're not founded in anything real. It's just people just pulling shit out of their ass, frankly. And you can't have a cogent discussion with them because they can't bring it to something real. So they just talk circles all day. So that is why system science, this microphone is driven by systems. Everything we have around us comes out of engineering system science. It's real, it's understandable. A plumber understands it, an engineer understands it, an electrician understands it. And that to me is what, if we wanna build a movement, like if you wanna build an airplane, how are you gonna build an airplane? without aeronautical training, right? How are you going to build a movement without a physics? Then you have the science, then you do the work, and then you have a clear vision, right? Truth, freedom, health. So that's what this is about, Jesse. If you look back at the past, workers' movements have scared the shit out of these people. So they try to label them to those people listening, capital C, communism. They don't surely want to talk about the phenomenon of working people organizing and demanding their basic freedom. So I'll give you an example right now. Um, some people may know one of the largest entertainment union is known as SAG-AFTRA. And I'll tell you what's going on right now, okay? Well, Hollywood, if you talk to most people in Hollywood behind closed door, they'll say, yeah, five Zionist families control Hollywood, okay? And it's true. So Hollywood is controlled by Zionism. So Zionism is here, and you have this union which has existed recently. It's called SAG-AFTRA, and it's about 160,000 workers, okay? Now, within that union, they have two types of workers that they purposely created, Jesse. The 0.0001% of the work workers who are the lump, who are the elite workers, and they call them A-list actors. Tom Cruise's, the Clooney's, a few people like that. And then everyone else. 
Now, what is interesting is when the events of October 7th took place in Palestine, two petitions came out in Hollywood. One petition was, let's keep butchering the Palestinians. The other one was, stop butchering them. Guess who support, guess who were the signatories of the first one? Mostly the A-list actors. And the others were sort of the B and C list. Very good, talented people, but they're not part of the clique, you see? So Hollywood controls Zionism. Now, it gets even more interesting. So one of the biggest phenomenon that's going on that could be seriously against working people is AI, artificial intelligence. So let's say artificial, so what's happening now is um, the question, there was a strike that recently took place and they should keep striking, frankly, was the following. Um, can an actor be re replaced by an AI version of that actor, like an AI object, a synthetic performer, or they call an AI digital replica. I mean, the technology has gotten so fucking good, man, that you can literally make your face, your voice, and you could literally create a Jesse. You end up becoming a sock puppet. Okay. So complete movies, they can do like that. All the extras complete. they can do on that. They don't need, yep. you know, all these other actors. So if they're going to strike, they can literally say, look, we don't even need you anyway. So take a hike and have, you know, thanks for all the work you put in. Right. So this is a very important thing because this is the future of things to come. So a, a finite set of the Hollywood studio bosses have. And so when the actor struck, you know, the A-list, so in the quote-unquote, so the union leaders are trying to shove down the throat to all the other 160,000 actors. Okay, we got a good deal for you. You know what the deal is? Here's the deal. And I've read through this. It says, the studios have the right to create digital replicas of you. And they have the right to take thousands of faces of you and create synthetic people. Like they may use your eyelash in one, my mouth, and they can literally create characters that you can't recognize. They have the right to do that. And if they create a digital replica of you, you can go negotiate with them for compensation. That's what the union's supposed to do. So who has a lawyer? The legal thing, I mean, if you're a $15 an hour actor out of New York, how the fuck are you going to, you're so happy to get a job. You're going to probably say, okay, you can make a digital replica of me because they have a, a hundred people lined up. And if you say no, someone else will say, I'll accept it. You see? Yeah, so I heard even before the digital replica, Terrence Howard, who sang in Hustle and the Flow, his character, um, sang all the songs. And so he didn't even get paid any royalties because they said the character owned that song and they owned that character so he didn't get any royalties on anything because it was the character not him that sang the song so that was one way that he was talking about how he got screwed even before now these ai replicas of them right so now the ai replicas the contract is very clever it says you can negotiate so the union is telling all these workers oh we've got you a great deal but all of these 160,000 people are going to have to hire lawyers to negotiate. But what the fuck is the purpose of the union? Now, the A-list actors are fine with this because they always negotiate anyway. They have the legal resources. It'll also give a guy like Tom Cruise not to make one mission impossible, but 10 in a year because he can license his AI replicas. He'll have great lawyers who will negotiate. But all the background actors, all these people are gone. Now, what's interesting is the head of this union raised money. Guess for who? $60 million for 
the Israeli Zionist fund. defense force. Wow. So here you have the union head of a workers' union creating this two-tier system. Remember what I said, that Zionism always creates two tiers, right? Chosen people and everyone else. Brahminism, upper caste, lower caste. And this is happening right now. And it's, it's you know, I'll probably do some more videos on this, but what you have is that the whole goal, you know, as I wrap this up is that those in power do not want us building an independent movement. They do not want someone like me with all the skills I was able to get, all the engineering knowledge, figuring out how to build a movement and educating people. I'm supposed to suck Zionist cock and I don't, okay? I actually know how to build things and create things and I can educate other people to do that. So our movement, Truth, Freedom, Health, is the only force on this planet that can change the tide because history shows it is workers' movements that do it. And, and to everyone listening, don't think just because things get bet worse, they're going to get better. They're just going to keep getting worse. And so you have a lot of these people I know, a lot of people, a lot of money. Yeah, Shiva, things are just going to get worse. I'm putting my money into Bitcoin and gold. I'm building my bunker, right? Well, how's that going to help the rest of us? So the reality is there's only one way to change this. We have to build a bottoms-up movement. And in system science, it's called self-organizing systems. So the libertarians don't understand this. They don't understand this physics, okay? Um, again, people, you know, talk about, you know, like USA LLC Corp. Again, you're getting lost, okay? They have all sorts of structures. So people say, oh, yeah, we live in a corporation. Yeah, whatever. It's true. It doesn't matter. You know, we live on a flat earth. Okay, big fucking deal. The issue is, are you going to focus your energy and recognize without building a movement, we're all fucked? It's, and the, this movement, it's the movement you're building, not the actual, you know, hey, I'm going to be president. Because if enough people join in the movement, it doesn't matter who's head, who's head of the country. Well, the issue is my running for president, even if I wanted to win the presidency, it cannot occur without a movement. So what do I mean by that statement? That means good people who are actually capable people don't get to lead in the current imperialist capitalist system. They don't. So let me repeat again. The current capitalist system is not based on meritocracy. It is based on a plutocracy, okay, of who fucks each other, who paid off each other, who sucks Zionist cock, okay? How much cock sucking you do gives you elevated. That's how this current system is based on. It is not based on, wow, this guy created the first email system. He worked hard. He came from nothing. He built this. It's not based on, wow, Jesse's an independent guy who does his own thing. Oh, let's support Joe fucking Rogan who sucks off Ari Emanuel and gets to be on Spotify, right? That's where it comes from. Or fucker Carlson who comes from an uh, a CIA family. You say they're all part of a clique. So these people would never survive in a competitive world. And yet they talk about competition, right? So they actually have to diminish the people who are the real, frankly, the better ones, right? So that's what they're doing. So the only, so even if I wanted to be the leader of working people throughout the world in the current system, it can only be done with a movement, Jesse. That's the point. Okay. So but we build a movement, we win. But how do you build a movement? Well, A, you have to, there's three parts. What is the vision? Truth, freedom, health. They're all intersected. B, you have to do the work. 
You have to study. You can't think, I'm just going to wing it. I'm just going to go to a protest and say, ceasefire now, and everything's going to happen. No, because that ceasefire now slogan was created by a set of liberal Zionists to make you feel like you're doing something good. And at the end of the day, nothing's going to happen, right? So when you apply a systems approach, even in that issue, it's end the occupation of America. You want to free Palestine? You got to free America. Now, that is a systems position that comes out when you look at the whole thing. Look, I've been an activist in this movement on the anti-Zionist stuff, and it always gets hijacked by these liberal Zionists. And that's what's and and because our movement now exists, Jesse, we can educate people so they don't get bamboozled again. So that's what we need. We need um yeah, someone says it's present. Will you tell the truth? Look, if the earth, there's so many issues, Sonny, you could focus on whether the earth is flat or not, whether there's this or that or this, all of these things, you know, end the Fed. Yeah, okay. Well, how are you going to do that? By just screaming, end the Fed. Oh, yeah, I'm against the Fed. Ron Paul, what the fuck did he get done? Nothing. His son, Rand Paul, took over it and is, sits on that issue. These people are not building bottoms up movements and educating people how to do that because that's the reality that takes work you got to get your fingers dirty you got to go out and hand out flyers like we do here's a flyer right you got to go out under the subway you got to educate people look they're killing your children okay the lifespan is going low you have to have conversations you have to go door to door people don't want to do that because they've been taught to be lazy get you know supplement checks you know watch the kardashians and that's the tide we're, we're changing, Jesse, and it's happening. And it's happening very explosively. So people listening, go to truthfreedomhealth.com, become a warrior scholar, learn this. And then we're giving people another immediate opportunity, and that's global in the United States. Well, spend five bucks. Go get a little bumper sticker. Go to Shiva for present. Why is this important? You, you have to peel off this bumper sticker, and you have to put it on your back windshield. On the lower left corner, why is that important? Because this is a powerful statement. You're saying, fuck you to them. You're saying, I figured it out. My name is Jack, and I figured it out. Okay? I figured out how they're manipulating us. And this guy and this movement for Truth, Freedom, Health is about me. He's one of us. And you may try to manipulate me by putting Vivek the Snake, putting fucking Trump on, or putting booby kennedy but i figured it all out and this guy and this movement is a real thing and therefore yeah someone says politicians ever fix anything because they don't have any skills to fix anything <laughs> they can't fix anything they can't fix their lawnmower they can't fix they can't fix nothing okay so everyone one step is go and get this education but if you're lazy Download, go go get this, go to Shiva, numeral four president, and just peel it off and put it on the back. You say, I'm supporting Dr. Shiva, five, $5, shipping included. Now, why do I say that? Because our movement recognizes that everyday working people, many of them are depressed, many of them are down, they've given up hope. So we have to make it simple. Now, the more advanced person can not only get a bumper sticker, but they can go to Shiva for president and the free downloads, download a flyer. And in this flyer, they can start educating your neighbors how those in power are literally killing your children. That red curve is a life expectancy of your child. Your child's life expectancy is now shorter than yours. And this flyer educates them what the problem is, right? 
and it educates them on what the solution is. Every Thursdays at 11 a.m. and 8 p.m., John will put up to everyone, we host a open house. You can go to vashiva.com slash orientation. Come to the town hall. We'll teach you how to take care of your immune system. That's healthcare solution. We'll teach you how to shop locally and support your farmers. That's the environment solution. We'll teach you how to teach your kids to think system thinking. The course is free to all kids. Okay? Because people have started, kids have got to learn how to think systems. You, we'll teach you what is a leader and what isn't the principles of leadership. We'll teach you how to be, how to save money, you know, and make money. All right. So the, no one's teaching it. The government doesn't want, want to teach you this. So, so it becomes upon us to do all this work now, Jesse. And so every week our movement grows. People are actually getting empowered in a very meaningful way. What is the system? Because right now we talked about the crony capitalism. We talked about the monopoly capitalism, you know, the communitarianism, mixing the communism and the capitalism together. Um, you know, that's kind of what, but are we looking at like a free market capitalist system with direct democracy um, fueling the government? Like, is that kind of what, you know, you're seeing as the, the proper system to be put into place? Well, let's look at the three principles, right? Truth, freedom, health. Okay. So any society for it to be prospered, it has to have those three elements. Now, truth, freedom, health, Jesse, when people really understand systems, I'm not going to do it here because it, it'll take three hours, is that truth, freedom, and health directly come from engineering system science, transport, conversion, storage, movement of information, matter, and energy is comes out of general system theory. Transport, that's why freedom is important, movement. The second is conversion of one form to another. Crazy ideas to find out what truth is through the scientific method. Crazy ideas to innovate, innovation. Innovation and real science cannot exist without freedom. And then the third piece is infrastructure, which is really the health aspect, your physical health, environmental health, et cetera. So you get it? So truth, freedom, health are three principles which literally relate to general systems theory. So our movement's built on very three things. So when you look at a society, you have to go back to the basics. A society cannot prosper without freedom. It cannot prosper without real adherence to the scientific method, okay? And um, it cannot prosper, right, without infrastructure, you see? So if you go to Hong Kong, the infrastructure is phenomenal. You get out of the airplane, you're in your car, but there's no freedom, right? So, so they have a lot of infrastructure, you know, you could call infrastructure health, but no freedom, right? And they do some science. You go to the United States, the reason the United States is so prosperous, was so prosperous, is because you had these Bill of Rights, all right, freedom. The founders set up a very phenomenal patent system to protect creators, right? And then you have infrastructure. But all those three things are now decaying, okay, in the United States. On November 16, 2018, Trump passed, Trump signed into bill a law which created CISA which chokes this infrastructure, you follow? A freedom. So that's what we've created right now. So the United States still has a lot of these attributes, other countries have pieces of it. So what I can share, Jesse, it's these principles people need to understand, okay? These principles. And innovation now is being done by the few. 
Only a few people are able to prosecute their patents easily. You say you have to have a lot of money to get a patent now. People, the large companies want to eliminate patents. They want to go to trade secrets. So everything that's going on right now is attack on freedom, attack on innovation and truth, attack on people's physical, economic health. And these are the three things that determine society. Now, my point is you can't even talk about this without us creating enough leaders on the planet. I think we need about 10,000 of them who understand this physics. Right. Otherwise, people make, well, you know, uh, everyone is greedy. <laughs> They'll just make these things. Well, everyone is greedy. We all are selfish. Okay. What does that mean? <laughs> Doesn't mean anything. Okay. So um, we have an opportunity because the science, the engineering, and the politics have come together. So people can really get a handle on looking at the world as it is, not how they want it to be, not philosophically. So I hope that was uh, valuable, Jesse. So I can't hear you. You're muted. Yeah, that was really valuable, of course. Thank you for sharing your time here. Always a pleasure. You're always welcome to come back here. I, I think it's, you know, important that, you know, we educate or enlighten. I like to use better than educate, uh, enlighten people to what's going on and the systems that, and they can be part of a true movement to change the societal structures that will benefit us all. Yeah. But the key thing people need to understand um, is that, and I'll talk more about this this evening on another radio show I'm doing. The elites want us to get, they want uh, us to uh, have learned helplessness. They want us to learn to be helpless. And this is why those people expose truth all day without talking about the movement for truth, freedom, what we're doing. That's what they're about. Every Tom, Dick and Harry can go read some shit on the internet and say, oh my God, look at this picture, this poor baby dying. Yeah, it's horrible. And then you see that picture, you go, fuck, the Zionists are so powerful. And then you see another picture and another picture and another picture. Oh, they did this here and they did this here and they did this here. Okay. Obama did this to his, Obama was banging some other guy, fucker Carlson. This is all he does. He's like the king of learned helplessness. And this is a CIA Mossad MI6 technique. And these influencers all over the internet, are just there and you, the litmus test is will they put me on you ask any of these influencers so-called will they interview me with all my credentials all my things they'll put these scumbags on and that lets you know they have no interest in changing the world they want to just perpetuate fear porn okay they want to just quote unquote expose the truth for what purpose first of all they don't expose it at the right time they expose it only when it's opportunistic and they have no interest in empowering people to build a militant bottoms up movement. And by the way, when I mean militant, I mean vibrant that has a heart and soul of people here. Okay. We're not talking about taking guns and just shooting people randomly. That's what we're talking about. So every one of you listening out there, if you are serious, go to truthfreedomhealth.com, come to our open house support this campaign we're doing get a bumper sticker my entire goal is to give each one of you guys an experience to raise your consciousness some people may just want to take a bumper sticker some people may want to do a flyer some people may want to come to the open house but you have to take action but everything we're doing is to build this movement without this movement 
you are just talking. It's vapor. It's just shit coming out of your mouth. And it doesn't really do anything to inspire us to win truth for the mouth. And that's what we're doing, right? So right now, right now with the Zionist situation, cease fire now. That slogan has been being used by these liberal Zionists for 40 fucking years. And what cease fire now means is Israel gets to go two steps forward and one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. That means they're making one step every time they do this. Ceasefire now is a liberal Zionist slogan. The real slogan that comes out of our movement is end the occupation of America and Palestine for a free Palestine and a free America. End the fucking occupation. And none of those liberal Zionists, and by the way, every time these movements occur, there'll be big protests. And who is running those protests? Because most of those protests are to engineer people to either one wing of the establishment. To divide them, to fight against each other, to be against oh, to each other. People, against To sucker people in, not to address the real issue, Jesse. It's even more insidious than that. It's to sucker people in so the real issue is never addressed. So sabotage. Yeah, this happened with the apartheid movement. So we'd have these huge protests. No to apartheid. Let's all live in peace. No, we have to end the fucking apartheid state. Okay? They don't want to talk about that. They don't want to demolish the apartheid state. You see, that's the right thing. They wanted to figure out an accommodation. That's why what ended up happening was they went, went and found Nelson Mandela, who's a complete scumbag. He was not anywhere the true people representing the black people. He was brought in, parachuted in, like Mahatma Gandhi in India, like Martin Luther King. And because our movement exists, we're calling this out so this doesn't occur, so we get real freedom. And that's why our movement is so powerful. And so all of you recognize the elites are very strong. They know how to manipulate. They'll keep, one day they'll find a booby fucking Kennedy, another day they'll find, you know, Trump, another day they'll find Bernie Sanders. They keep having their Zionist swarm front men always there. And you have someone like me, you have our movement. So you got to get off your butt and help us get on the ballot. You have to get a bumper sticker, bumper sticker, bumper sticker, bumper sticker. If there's one thing you do, get all your friends and you to go to Shiva for president and get a freaking bumper sticker. And if you don't know where it is, I'll show it to you right now. So you have no excuse. You go to Shiva for president and you go right here to shop and you click on lawns and bumper stickers and it's right here. You see, you can get a pack of 10. John, you need to move this up, okay? Or you can get this one, one sticker, shipping included, all right? That's what everyone needs to do because this is a very powerful way that you can say, not only fuck off, but you are supporting one of us, that you've overcome your own slavery. And that's what this is about. It's about people overcoming their own slavery, Jesse. Having respect for themselves because our movement demands that you respect yourself because if you're thinking Trump or booby fucking Kennedy, um, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to choose a lesser of two evils. All right, Jesse, I hope that was valuable. I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to play our uh, campaign video for your folks.
Not at all. We have over 200 people live, and I imagine you probably have two, 300 people here yeah. right now. So if people go to Shiva for president and you go to the main page, again, everything we do here is done by volunteers, okay? Notice I haven't asked you for one penny. Have you noticed that, Jesse? I haven't said, give me money, give me money. What I've said is get educated or be enslaved. If you give us money, I give you educational programs so you can get educated. But let me play this video for you. And I hope it inspires all of you to get off your butts and know that finally you have one of us. Who would have ever thought I'd be running for president of the United States of America? I was born a low caste untouchable in India's caste system, a system of aristocracy, oppression, and racism. My name is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. I'm an MIT PhD, a Fulbright scholar, a scientist, engineer, entrepreneur, and inventor. My family and I left India to come to America on my seventh birthday. I grew up in the working class neighborhoods of New Jersey, playing baseball, mowing lawns, painting houses and coding software. My friends and neighbors are blacks, Italians, Irish, people of all races. As a 14 year old, I wrote 50,000 lines of software code to create the world's first email system and was awarded the first US copyright for email, recognizing me as its official inventor at a time when copyright was the only way to protect software inventions. I did that long before I ever came to MIT revealing that big innovations can occur anytime, any place by anybody. Growing up, I saw politicians dividing us by race and religion in both America and India to have us fighting each other while they remain safe in their gated communities and in their playgrounds of Hollywood, Martha's Vineyard and Silicon Valley. I'm a fighter. I fought racism and exposed their imperialist wars, fought for workers and put my life on the line against global corruption. I never wanted to run for political office. All that changed when I saw working Americans as never before being duped by the establishment and the not so obvious establishment across left and right. We were being sold out and made to forget why we came to America and why America existed. Lawyers, academics, billionaires, celebrities and politicians, elites, Clintons, Kennedys, Bidens, Obamas, Bushes, black and white have hijacked America. They printed trillions for their friends. They delivered crumbling infrastructure, corruption and racism. They transferred trillions to themselves, dividing black and white, fear mongering and fake science. Lockdowns and censorship, dirty air, food and water, pushing drugs upon us, making us sicker. We've been sold out. One set of rules for them and another for us. We deserve a warrior with a history of courage and putting everything on the line for you, who believes in you, not them, who has created a movement bottoms up for truth, freedom, health. I've exposed their lies at the right time, never waiting until it was popular. I've exposed their false gods who exist to lead you back to them. I've exposed their fake science of lockdowns and masking and provided you solutions to fight them and win and protect your immune system, saving millions. I exposed Fauci, galvanized the fire Fauci campaign when others remained silent. When they stole our election, we sued the government and Twitter in our historic 2020 federal lawsuit, exposing in bare view the government and big tech censorship infrastructure, the unholy alliance between government and social media companies. Where was Elon and his grifters? They stood by the sidelines and did nothing. They did not use their megaphones to help us when it could have made a big difference. Now our movement grows for truth, freedom, health, independent of all of them. Every day, millions are learning the science of systems, the knowledge the elites do not want you to have. So you may learn how to think, stand up and fight, independent of the establishment of left and right and their fake heroes. Now it's time for you to join the movement to win back America, to win back truth, win back freedom, win back your health. That's why I'm running for president of the United States. This race is about you. This race is about truth, freedom, health versus power, profit, control. We've had enough. They think we'll fall in line 
and vote again for their lawyers, celebrities, billionaires, and chosen ones from above. We choose our heroes from below, from the rank and file who do what is right at the right time, not when it's convenient and popular. They can never represent us. What America needs is a movement by the working people for the working people who are educated, organized, decentralized, and fight for independence from their systems of control. And that movement exists. It's ready for you. We don't need them. We need us to go bottoms up, neighbor to neighbor. My journey, your journey are all the same. It's our time. It's time we had one of us. It's time to win back truth, freedom, health, to win back America, be part of this historic movement all the way to our victory on November 5th, 2024. If you're an American citizen, pledge your vote now for Dr. Shivaya Duray, the independent candidate for U.S. president. No matter where you live, you can be a part of this. Volunteer as little as 20 minutes a day. Don't delay. This is Dr. Shiva Duray, and I approve this message paid for by Dr. Shiva for president.